I appreciated the invitation from Hans Eric uh, to be with you. Uh, who was born in Los Altos? That makes two of us. So I, I, was, uh, I was born and raised in Los Altos, uh, over by Loyola Corners. If you go down Fremont, Loyola Corners, take a left on Granger, go down a, a little ways. Uh, that's where I was born and raised. Uh, went to Montclair Elementary School, Cupertino Junior High School, um, Homestead High School. And so that means this area has all kinds of memories for me. I, I drove by uh, Fremont High School uh, coming in, and I remember when we played Fremont in football, and I missed a block at the end of the second quarter, and we didn't score. We went in to the locker room, and the coach just tore my head off. He just yelled and yelled, and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, coach. And he said, sorry? I'm sorry your parents ever met. <laughs> so, I, so I remember that, being here <laughs> on this day. Um, I also um, uh, remember uh, being 14 years old, and I was, I was raised in a family that went to church and um, was a very faithful family, never heard uh, a presentation that um, you could have a personal relationship with God. Didn't, didn't hear that. But when I was 14 years old, I did. And I, I went... Um, home that night and went into my room and I prayed. And I'm not sure what I prayed, but I wanted to talk to God. There was something that was very special, wonderful in that evening. And uh, what I'd heard, and I, if, if there was words you were supposed to say, I didn't know what they were. All I wanted to do is I just wanted to talk to God. He had made himself real to me in well, that it was just a message, probably a message that was forgettable for the person who, who, who gave it. And um, all I can tell you is I, I knew nothing about uh, the power of God. I knew nothing about religious experience. Uh, I know the story is rare. It doesn't make it more important, but it was like my room filled with light and music at the same time. And I, uh, I wouldn't have used the language. I became a Christian, but I was changed in the room, and I was called to be a pastor right then. I was called, and I don't know if the word pastor, I doubt that was there. I was called to follow and, and learn. I stayed in my room for three days, scared my parents to death. We did have a big family Bible that was on the coffee table, a very dusty book. <laughs> and so I knew, I, I took that family Bible uh, in with me, and that really scared my parents because, you know, it, it was almost like it was a sin to open the thing. It was, it was so uh, important and sacred. So, uh, yeah, 
Los Altos means a lot. Uh, I now live in Oakland. And do you know the only thing I remember being taught about Oakland was this, you know, I, they, my parents, they, they, they taught you here at Los Altos growing up in the old days, study hard and don't go to Oakland. Things will be pretty good as long as you keep those two things in mind. I'm a superintendent of the Pacific Southwest Conference. We have uh, 150 churches uh, plus and uh, there are so many wonderful things that God is doing. And when I speak in a church, I usually just try to share one thing from the previous 24 hours that God's done. So here's something that God's doing. We are in another era of very fruitful evangelism, incredibly fruitful. I've sensed it coming for a little while. Now it is. Here's the thing that most believers uh, don't believe. They don't know, and I'm just telling you. Younger people are far more open to Jesus than they've been for decades. Now, right now. So we see, and we're seeking to build a youth movement over the next several years. It's almost like planting a new young life. It's almost like planting uh, a new campus life. But we are in the covenant. Uh, we're uh, one of the most ethnically diverse uh, religious groups uh, in America. We're the most diverse um, in our conference, but we're seeking to plant a youth ministry of kids who know each other, where there are leadership paths, where there are experiences uh, like what you uh, are doing, Caitlin. I just think that is so exciting. I got to tell you, I have seen people go with YWAM for uh, decades now, and it's just uh, been remarkable what God does in people's lives. Not just that, but from what I learned from YWAM, I started a, a college in Alaska called Alaska Christian College for Eskimo students. And so it ended up, we ended up doing it differently. It's uh, a two-year school where you get an associate's degree, but a lot of the core principles are we learn from YWAM. And your desire to grow to know God, that's going to happen because you're going to spend a lot of time seeking just to listen to God on your time. So God bless you. Excited, excited about all that. But this is, this, is a, uh, this is a time. So what you see us, make sure you're all in on what we're doing with teens. So we've seen in the last couple months that at our events, this is first time commitments to Jesus from teens. It's, it's somewhere near 100 in the last couple of months. But here's the big thing. Along, I mean, that's a big thing. Give God thanks for that. So it's happening now. But the other thing that we've seen is over 50 teens have heard God calling them to pastoral missionary youth pastor ministry. The other thing, uh, so I, uh, yesterday, let's see, we um, are now leading and equipping more Spanish-speaking leaders in the West than anyone. We are doing a training every two months for pastors and leaders in Spanish in Southern California than we do one in Northern California. How many 
pastors come to the local cluster meeting here. There's a good cluster. And if a whole bunch were here, it'd be like 15, if a whole bunch, right? Yesterday in Spanish, and it's a little different because you bring a couple key lay leaders. Yesterday in Spanish in Los Angeles, over 200. And so the, um, in, this, in our part of the world, what God is doing among Latinos is just amazing. So that's every other month. But I, I will tell you, that was the largest. We've been averaging 150, but we, we topped 200 yesterday. There is a hunger among people in churches because uh, most people in most places, and I know this area and I know it's true, I'm a Bay Area person, will say the incline for making disciples, it was always, there was, it was always uphill, right? Moving ministry forward. But most people in most places are saying that that incline has gotten steeper. Do you think that's true? Oh, it's true. If you don't, if, I'm going to tell you it's true. So people... We need to equip lay leaders and pastors in ways that we haven't be, uh, done before. So I got to tell you, any leaders, make sure you are at our conference in two weeks. Celebration, the annual meeting of Covenant Churches is in two weeks. So it was going to be down in Southern California, but we have a, a big new church down there that uh, the parking lot isn't going to be permitted by uh, San Juan Capistrano. So... We're going to be in Walnut Creek, but on Friday afternoon, uh, I hope so you can get some of your lay leaders to be there with you. Hans Eric, I love Hans Eric, by the way. This guy knows, knows Christ. Also, he's given me the toughest text to preach any pastor has in five years. So, you know, that's good for me. The, um, but it, um, you'll see some things. Boy, I'll tell you. Um, uh, for students, Caitlin, you're in school. God wants you to take school off that day. I just want your parents to know that. And uh, go be there on Friday. Stay through Friday evening. The next day, uh, it's important we have a few of you as delegates at our annual meeting. But be there through Friday evening and just see what, see what happens. Um, if there are some people who don't know Christ there, we usually have people that come to Christ right at our annual meeting, believe it or not. So uh, it'll, it, that's going to be a great time. That's in Walnut Creek. So, okay, the text. I'm not a prophet, but I can guarantee you none of you have this uh, pinned up on your uh, refrigerator or bathroom mirror. I'll guarantee you that. And that is what is so wonderful about preaching through the lectionary, because this is the word of God. This is something that we need to hear. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus, I'm in Luke chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were some present at that time who chose, told Jesus about the Galileans, listen to this, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And so, they, uh, there, there's been this terrible event that's just taken place. This is a recent event. By the way, Luke provides more detail and sometimes uh, stories, a uh, little... Um, uh, historic happenings that others don't. And it's something that is remarkable uh, in the New Testament and is part of why we trust the historicity is because you get a story like this. And so it's, hey, Jesus, do you know this took place? 
that there were some Galileans, and by the way, you know, Jesus is uh, Galilean, uh, from that part, who are the, who are the Galileans? When, and we're thinking this is in Jerusalem they're talking about. Galileans were like hillbillies. Okay? Jerusalem, more educated than the rest. When you, when you hear the whole thing about Galileans, that was, uh, yeah, that, that, they, they, were, they were less sophisticated folks. And so what, what's said is that they were making sacrifice and their blood was mixed with the sacrifice. Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? What had happened, they were there for sacrifice. It could have, it could have been Passover, doesn't say this, but that uh, would have been the one time of the year everybody... place in the temple that might be more likely they have Galileans going to worship in the temple and a group of Roman soldiers uh, for whatever reason killed them one of the things I, I, I made a choice at one point in my life either to be a pastor or to uh, pursue um, history and academics and the great thing is you can continue to study the rest of your life one of, I think, when we think back on history, where we have a misconception is just, we just don't understand how brutal most of history has been. Most people in most places, we are living such a rare, incredibly safe existence that is such an aberration for people on planet Earth. And so when you have a country come in to another country, that country that is subjugated, they never uh, appreciate it. When we see movies of the Romans, and sometimes they show the Romans as brutal, friends, it's nothing like the reality. It was a nightmare. The Romans were murdering, they were raping, they were killing at will. Um, there was a time, we're told, this is in the next generation after Jesus, that when you walked into Jerusalem, there were crosses where people were being crucified. Now, it's probably an exaggeration, but the exaggeration tells you something brutal. They say at one time there were 10,000 people hanging on a cross going into Jerusalem from the Romans. So this idea of being brutalized, it's, uh, th that was very much life. But what is unique here, and I think this is, I, this is why I think it's in the temple, is that their blood was mixed with the blood of uh, sacrifice. It was, it was an aberration. It was like when Antiochus IV, so um, Antiochus IV, this is like uh, uh, almost 200 years earlier, uh, one of, uh, you know, after Alexander, uh, child of some of the people that came from the Alexander Conquest, he set up a statue of himself in the temple, and they smeared pig's blood all over the temple. And then do you know what happened? The people revolted in the Maccabean Rebellion. The Jews fought back. It's a little bit what I think they're expecting from Jesus. Do you know what's happened here? Do you know? They have gone in, so I'm thinking it's the temple. They've killed Galileans, and the sacred blood of sacrifice they've mixed their blood with. So Jesus 
answered, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Very often Jesus answers with a question. Um, it's very common. That's how rabbis spoke. One would ask a question. Um, uh, why is the sun in the sky? Uh, the answer if, uh, could be, um, is it true that the sky is really blue? And, and it, that doesn't make sense to us, but believe me, they talk to each other in questions, and it's hard to get back into some of that context. But here, Jesus knows part of what they're thinking, and it could be that they're Galileans. Everybody looked down on the Galileans because they lived so far out there. It's like if you live in Los Altos, people in Tracy, you know, I mean, way out there, Stockton, way out there. They looked down on them. Do you think they were worse sinners than all the others? I tell you no. I think they're wanting Jesus to do something that is different. I think they're wanting him to say, now's the time. Now's the time we stand up. Okay, it's happened in the temple. Now's the time. But also, there is this thing about people. It's true in history. You can't find one place in history where this is not true. That one group feels superior to another group. Do you think that's true? Have you ever felt superior to another group of people in your life? The answer is yes. It would just take me a little while. If you don't think so, you're not aware, you forget. You, believe me, you have. You have. We know this about human beings. And it's getting to something uh, that Jesus is going to say. And he says it about us. It's, uh, and it's always a hard thing to hear. He says, you know, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So you're, you're, you're wanting me to do something. Uh, they've come to Jesus. They're telling him this news. And then you're, you're saying, well, you know, it was Galileans. has something to do with them not being quite up at the level of everyone else. Well, here's what you need to know. You're going to perish. People have a really hard time, I think, understanding the reality of us. I don't think I have ever told the story I'm going to tell you right now. One week later, uh, you know, it's hard when you're 14. Uh, maybe, let me say, as much of a month later, I met an old European woman. And she, she had spoken at this thing, and I um, had a hard time following her. And, but she reminded me of my grandma. Now, my grandma was Swedish. This, this woman uh, was, you know, she was European, and she must have been about 80 years old. And she did something that was extraordinary for me. This is actually what she did for me is one of the most important things I know about ministry. And it has to do with teens right now, why they're so open. Did you know um, 
if you're younger, you haven't been looked at as closely eye to eye. You have had a much diminished experience being a human being, looking into other human beings' eyes. Did you know that? It's pretty, it's pretty, and so we're concerned even about rewiring of brains and all that kind of thing. Well, because, see, I know it's powerful for someone if you look at them in the eyes and you really, you, 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 you're really with uh, them. Um, well, this 80-year-old this, this grandma woman, she looked at me. And even then, you know, back way then, to have somebody who just would take you aside and she looked at me. And I was an awkward pudgy kid, but she looked at me and she talked to me. And she said, um, and it was, it was not too far from here, <laughs> and, and she said, um, she talked about the love of Father for me. I mean, I'm like I'm 14 years old, I've had this experience, but she just talked about the love of the Father. And uh, you know, sometimes, like, there's this thing in movies when somebody falls in love and they don't see anything else except this one that they're infatuated with. It was almost like that. It was just this profound experience. And she looked at me. I didn't know who she was. I just was taken by it. And it was probably two years um, later I read the book, The Hiding Place. And she had, in kind of that year, a couple years in between, so her name was Corey Temboom. Some of you might know who that is. Corey Temboom. So, why, you know, how am I connecting that to this? I'm, I'm going to get there. So, Corey Temboom was raised in Denmark, and uh, when the Nazis came in, her family um, hid Jews, they were arrested. Her sister, father died in jail. She, uh, not in jail, in horrible concentration camp. And uh, she uh, survived and forgave the, the Nazis. That was who this, old, this, this older woman was who was doing this. And as I went through the years and I was aware of who she was and kind of knew about the Holocaust and such and always thought, what would, what would you do? You know, what would you do? Well, I always knew that I'd hide Jews. The truth is, um, less than 1% of Bible-believing Christians hid Jews in Europe. The truth is, almost all of us here would, because of fear, done nothing. That's the truth. We want to make our, put ourselves in the place of the hero, and I say, please, you know, seek to do that. But the truth is that we know with people, people are capable of doing terrible things. People um, are, what would it be like if you took your worst moments of your thoughts and life and attitudes and fantasies and everything else and we put them up on the screen here? Well, the screen's gone away, so it looks like you're safe. But what would, it, what would it look like? You know, there's going to be a time when they, I mean, the way things are going, where they can read your brains. Let's say that happens. Let's say we could just put that up there. Human beings are created in the image of God. 
and uh, have incredible worth, and human beings have the capacity for horrendous evil. Jesus says, you know, you're seeing this horrible thing happening, you're talking to me about it. What you need to know is that you are perishing. And this is Lent. And Protestants tend to be light on Lent. We're big on forgiveness. We, lo we love that for good reason. But we can be, and I would say, an observation of American Christianity, we're really weak on repentance. We might even read something in the Bible about repentance and think that's for someone who doesn't know God. There's no way to be fully human. There's no way to live in truth and insight without understanding your own depravity. There's no way of getting there. Sometimes what we do, we cover that up, we mask that up, we uh, fool ourselves, and that's why we don't grow. We don't deal with it, we don't repent. That's why we're, uh, perhaps part of the reason why, we're depressed, because the guilt is so, so overwhelming. Jesus says, you know, you see all this? You have all kinds of opinions, what should be going on in the, in the country? What would Jesus say now? We hear about tragedies every day. We're hearing about them every day. Um, I'd be surprised if you weren't like me and you don't have a couple of opinions as to what's gone wrong and what should happen. Jesus is saying, right now you need to be concerned about yourself. You're going to perish. Then, or those 18, now Jesus is talking about it. It's, and, and as somebody who studies history, this is fascinating. Because Jesus is describing a very specific event, a tragedy that they all know about, that we don't know about from any other historical record. Jesus says, how about those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. Um, the obvious thing you probably picked up was that though it wasn't in scripture, many people had a superstition that bad things happen to bad people. There's a reason why God has the tower fall on these people. There's a reason why uh, God uh, allowed those Galileans to be killed. And Jesus says that's crazy. That's just not the way it, it, it should be. And, and instead of thinking about maybe what was wrong with them, he says, again, you need to consider what's wrong with yourself. But unless you repent, you too all will perish. He's also, I, I told you I was giving kind of an uplifting little message here today, right? Also, um, you, you're going to die. I think most of us only half believe that. I mean, we really are. It's hard to, it's hard to kind of grasp. It's, it's easy for me to understand that you're all going to die. It's me. Thinking of me dying, that, that, that's, the, that's the part. It's hard. You're, you're going to die. And so you, 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 need, you, need, you need to get there. You need to understand that. I'm so blessed to serve with a, a team of people who direct different ones of our ministries and we actually did a prayer retreat two weeks ago uh, in Los Altos at El Retiro which is uh, 
um, retreat center. It's been there a uh, long, long time. And um, I took the, uh, our, our team on a little journey of some places that had been key in my life, went to, took them to the house that I was raised in, uh, told them the story that I just told you about meeting God and showed them the bedroom, pointed at it there. Um, um, went a number of places. One of the places um, I took them was to a bench uh, real close to the corner of Foothill Expressway and Magdalena. And I told them on 1989, in 1989, I sat on that bench and I bawled and I bawled and I bawled. So why? Um, I went uh, through, uh, when I was at Cupertino Junior High, I had uh, made a friend, his name was Steve, was my best friend. We played uh, football together. Uh, through high school, we double dated, did all that. Uh, and Steve, it just drove me crazy. He could have played college football. It all, his, uh, his three brothers are all college quarterbacks. He could have played college football. I was trying as hard as I can to get somebody to notice me. But um, the problem was, for me, it was that in the history of Santa Clara County, I was the slowest that's ever been born or reared, reared here. Very, very slow. And there's no cure for slow, by the way. There's no play they can give you for slow. And so he didn't do it. It drove, drove me crazy. So we're best friends. He's in our wedding, all that kind of thing. And after my, my, when my wife and I go on vacation, he'd go, go on vacation with us. And so I'm a um, just finishing seminary, and he was visiting, and my wife sat us down in the living room and said, you two guys have to have a talk. First she said to me, it's the only time I ever remember saying this to me, uh, this statement, but I remember it. She said, Paul, you're the smartest guy I've ever known. That's the only time I ever heard this. But you are really stupid in, in an area. And Steve, you are living a private gay lifestyle. And you aren't telling anybody, but it's really clear. Paul, this is your best friend, and you don't, you don't get it. Well, I'm a pastor, and, I'm, I, and now I'm in a Bible-teaching church, and my best friend is gay, and it's in the 80s. And this all seemed really confusing to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is really, really hard. And, man, I don't know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But over the, over the months, God told me, this is your best friend, and you, you love him. So that's, that was it. I believe, just so you know, I believe in the historic uh, teaching of the church uh, regarding sex and marriage. I believe in, believe in all that. And, uh, but it was a liberating thing. And something happened inside of me. I realized what my birthright was as a follower of Jesus. My birthright was I get to love everybody. 
I get to love every, I mean, I get to. That's my birthright. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That measuring stick that we, that we have, if people, we think they measure up, they're, they're nice enough to us for us to love them. They're good enough. They, they agree with us on whatever it is that need, they need to agree on for us to love them, or they measure up to our morality before we love them. Jesus broke that wooden measuring stick on the cross. And so it was liberating for me. Um, it was a little bit, a couple years later, I got a call. Or no, I didn't get a call. I couldn't find, Steve, Steve didn't go back to New York. And so I uh, um, couldn't find him. So his parents lived over in Danville. I called over there and said, hey, I can't get a hold of Steve. And Steve was there. He was sick. And so uh, back then, what was the scariest word in the English language? It, it was AIDS. Steve had AIDS. When he was in his final weeks, um, Sequoia Hospital, I was pastoring in Washington. I come down, uh, we were, we were going to uh, try to go camping. And, uh, but by the time I got down, he was really sick. I'm going, to, I'm going to turn on the World Series. I'm in the, I'm in the room there at Sequoia Hospital. I'm going to turn on the World Series in his hospital room. And everything starts shaking. Everything starts shaking. I was up on the third, fourth floor. And so if you're up a little bit, the earthquake felt like a bigger deal. And this is an old hospital. And so the plaster starts coming down. And it didn't, you know, it wasn't like the beams were coming down. It was just plaster and dust. But you looked out and it was all rolling. This guy was uh, 6'4", um, 240-something, solid muscle. I went over to get him, to get him out of the bed and get him into the doorway. Probably weighed 100 pounds. Took him get him into the doorway and uh, stayed in the hospital for the next couple days as a volunteer chaplain but I'll tell you what the reality was for me here's my friend who is going to die sometime soon but we're all going to perish 100, 100 years from now none of us uh, we're going to be are going to be around I mean this is this is life I got to tell you, I never have felt like the moral superior to anybody. Everybody's story is different. I know my own stuff. You know, there's no way you can be a Christian, you know, and just read a passage here. But it's, but it's, it's serious. We got to think about the seriousness of it, the ultimate of death. I, I think when we have views of humanity that are less than what the Bible tells us, about the other, the other part that the Bible tells us is that every human being, every single one is the magnificent creation of God. Sometimes that's the, it, it's funny, we're paradoxical. Sometimes we say we're not that bad, but then on the other hand, I don't know if you've ever felt what, you just don't think you're worthy of love. Are you really not that valuable? Jesus says both. <laughs> we've, we're, we've got some real issues, but we have more value than we thought. I was bawling on that bench because I was going to have to do the hardest thing in my life. That was to go in to the church 
that's there, Methodist Church, and uh, do the memorial service for my friend. It was, it, was, it was really hard. I'll tell you that a documentary was made about Steve and a couple other people. It's primarily about Steve. It was made back then. It won the Peabody Award for the best documentary. It's called The Los Altos Story. You can probably dig it up somewhere. It's, it's really, it's such a simple, I haven't seen it in years, but it's such a simple little, little story. And probably for that kind of community, what it's like when there's three people in your community who, who have AIDS. But uh, they were taken by Steve and really wanted this to be a thing about Steve. And they started filming uh, like the day before he died. They were late. There was something they'd been working on. Steve ended up dying faster than they thought, but he's still in it. I'm in it. And I say that Steve had a wonderful gift. He knew that God loved him. And we, need to, we need to understand, not be superficial, understand that we are, we are all perishing, we're all going to die. There is such thing as depravity, and there's this beautiful thing. And it's, it's God. It's, it's his love. And can you just receive it today? Can you receive that gift? He really, really loves you. And his love and his grace is surprising. Didn't plan on sharing any of this. His love and his grace is surprising. My wife and I, before we were married, we found out we would not be able to have children. There was a young woman who was there that day that I would, um, did that service for my friend. And um, she heard that the guy who spoke that day, um, she, she hadn't uh, been in church before, but she heard the guy that spoke that day that he and his wife couldn't have children. That's where my son Steve comes from. So I got to tell you, you live in a place of grace. Jesus is alive in Los Altos. I've met him here. Father in heaven. Thank you for the joy of being here this morning. Thank you for your word. And thank you that you are always at work. And whatever you would have for each one here today, including me, may we just all receive it. May we live like you are the creator of this world, that you have created every individual with incredible value. May we give in to our birthright that we get to love everybody, including ourselves. This we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.